Hey everybody, this podcast by Tradie HQ will be an interview between myself, Dan, and the father and son team of Blue Force Security, Dale and Sam. Uh, what I first would like to mention is that these guys have been an amazing support for Tradie HQ from the start uh, as foundation sponsors and and really helping me with a lot of the stuff that we had done here in terms of the access control and security and that sort of stuff. So hope you enjoy this next podcast. Welcome to the Trady HQ podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Trady HQ, Australia's first co-working and business incubator aimed specifically at trade-based businesses. Hey, welcome back everyone. This is the Trady HQ podcast. I'm Dan and today we are fortunate enough to be joined by uh, two people, uh, both from Blue, Blue Force Security and it's Dale Lofts, the, the owner and, and creator, and his son, Sam Lofts. So welcome, guys. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Sam. Thanks, Dan. No worries. All right. Sorry, Dale, I didn't have you, uh, I didn't have you up then, so here we go. I do now. Um, all right, so, yeah, what I want to start with is there's a few things, obviously, that I wanted to cover off on uh, with regards to Blue Force, but we'll just start with uh, a bit of a personal intro uh, from both of you guys. Dale, do you want to start us off and give us a rundown, mate, on a brief history of your life? Um, my history? Well, I'm, I'm really probably part of this whole scheme. I'm a, an electrician by trade, uh, industrial electrician from Newcastle, New South Wales. Um, thought I was going to be an NRL superstar, but that never quite worked. So I decided to bum around Australia and work and play a bit of football and end up in Perth and probably been here ever since. So uh, as that started, then we had kids, family, um, working as a Sparky, uh, you know, up at Worsley, Northwest Shelf, and then we came down and my wife came over and uh, I, I really couldn't work up north anymore, so I decided we'll give it a go. So I went and applied for a job at Wormwood Security, which is um, one of the biggest security companies around, had no idea about security or anything else, and just pestered them until they got a job, did that. Uh, install security, CCTV, all the stuff we did now, probably in the late 80s, and then really went from there into sales with them. From sales, uh, I got offered a job at Honeywell, a big multinational, and went over and worked for them and ended up running their security business nationally after about 14 years, and we sold it to another company and then went into the building controls business with them. And then when I turned... 40, 41, I started a bit, you know, I'm doing all this work for um, a big multinational and was it time for me to take a risk and see if I can create my own identity and, and a company out of that? So I decided to uh, resign from there and created Blue Force, which was um, the original part of it and it's been going now, this year will be 21 years. Yeah, right. So 21 years, so that means what, two... 2001, 2002, you started. Yep. And so when you when you started that, what was the? Actually, no, we won't won't do that now. What we'll do is we'll cut to Sam now, and we'll get your intro because we'll speak about the the inception of Blue Force a bit early, a bit later on. Sam, my intro is rather short because I'm only uh, 36 years of age. <laughs> that's it. I just I, I previously insulted Sam about his age, assuming he was the same age as me. But so that's yeah. I, sorry, mate. And working in a, a trade-based business, there is some stresses that come with it. So the grey hair, as uh, 
has come probably a little sooner than expected. <laughs> uh, I, I followed a similar path to the old man. I started as an apprentice uh, electrician. I uh, did a bit of football and sport at school and you thought I'd kicked enough goals there to be a sports person and soon found out that uh, if you don't put the hard work in, you don't get the reward. So I relied on a little bit too much on my natural ability, ended up uh, starting a trade, bounced around between a few different uh, electricians and decided I'd move to the East Coast to give sport a crack and uh, again took up my apprenticeship there, came back and um, really didn't have a job. So uh, I moved back to Perth, uh, had a couple of injuries and thought, let's have a crack at Blue Force. So I, was, I got an opportunity there. I started on the tools there as a, as a technician and uh, worked my way through to, uh, to running projects. And uh, we did projects, anything from uh, residential at that time to commercial, probably small commercial. And then in 2010, when the GFC hit, I moved into the office, Yep, which is a big sort of transition we had in the business in 2010. And from there... Uh, really uh, been in a sales-based role. Uh, now I sort of see over the, the sales operation both here and on the East Coast. Um, we've got a sales team of about six, seven people, depending. And uh, we've really grown that business from a uh, a competitor in that market to a market leader. Mm. So uh, and it's been you know been hard work, but uh, everything in the in the business that we do, I, I treat like sport and. Uh, the more competitive, the more better we can be, the more we continue to improve, the better we can out- outsmart or outcompete our competition. Yeah, for sure. So as we sit now, how many, how many staff across Australia uh, does Blue Force have? We have probably in our three entities. So we have Blue Force as the uh, integrator business. Uh, we have our monitoring operation, which is an inner loop, which is a 24-hour grade one monitoring facility. So we have about... Oh, 20,000 customers we look after in there. And then we have a company called Blue Assist, which is a medical business. But over the whole three, we have um, about 75 staff all up now. From originally in 2002, it was me, one. So um, it has progressed steadily every year on year till today. Yeah. Mm. So when, when you did start back back in 2002... How what what was your plan then? What what did you think? What do you think it was going to look like? It is is that and how does that how does that transpire through the years? Did you have the sort of IBM mentality of I'm going to start this as if in the future I'm going to have 75 staff, or did you make the uh, the mistake that a lot of us made where you just like focused on a single goal, which is generating your first invoice and and just taking the path of least resistance to that to use a industry term. Uh, it's an interesting question because um, a lot of my mates have uh, have gone probably the opposite direction of what I did, uh, and and really working for a big multinational like Honeywell is a top one hundred company in the world. They taught you that um, it's not all about you; it's all about your delegation, your risk profile, uh, workflows, and get uh, everything. If you're going to run a multinational company, you have to have everyone doing the same thing all over the world. The good thing about a big multinational is that they're very cumbersome, um, very stiff in their decision-making processes at times, and that was probably the end of the decision for me to, well, why don't I have the best of both worlds? I can be agile, but in, in originally it was always about setting up a big balloon that, that was going to be a corporation. Blue Force was always going to be something bigger than just me, and we really have grown into ourselves. So originally... 
I had the time to think about the structure of whether you have it, uh, you know, how, how financially you structure the business, but also internally about how we go about it, how we get our workflows, how we get our systems. So it's not about me, but about how we can grow it. So probably I have friends where they've started as a trading and they're still a trading. Yep. And the biggest issue they have is this, the asset value that they've got now is no more than when they first started. Blue Force has always been about creating recurring work and recurring customers. And our theme even today is we want a customer for life. So they keep on revisiting the service we provide and we're a service company that do projects really. Yeah, right. So from the from the outset, you were very system orientated, understanding due to your experience with the with Honeywell that in order to scale a business, you need to have that in place to start with so that the next staff member you bring on board, here's your, here's your system and process for managing all of these tasks, off you go. Yes, well, exactly that. And even how Sam's progressed through the, through the team, even, you know, the, probably the biggest decision I ever made was the first vehicle we bought and the first employee we ever put on. And Nick is now our group operations manager, so he's been there all the time. And our second employee is still there. So in actual fact, what it's actually created is once we got that going and got the cash flow going, it was really irrelevant to what we do. It was just how big we can get this thing. And then you start to invest in all the, the systems. Like we were the first or second company that used Simpro, um, which a lot of sparky companies are using. A lot of companies use it. So we have one process from the sales process all the way through our business, one system. So you create an opportunity, um, close that deal, uh, we create our timesheets, our project management, all, all of the systems in our service and re- recurring service all work in one system. So you can then put in more salespeople if you need. You've got more management tools to be able to help them and then they're all accountable. And then obviously what that also does is gives you that, that front-to-back visibility about the performance of a particular job, right? Yeah, and... the the big deal with all these businesses is all about people. So, you know, if you don't put the effort into your staff and train them, and even today, I think, Sam, how many have we, we, we've got training now? We've got about 35 of our technical staff in training continually. Mm. So, whether you've got one person or whether you've got 50, the actual continuous improvement thing is also a big deal, which actually they get rewarded, we get rewarded, and we're competent in what we deliver. And that then if we keep them as a service customer, well, then that effectively gives you a base to work for your next year. So you know you've got that much and then you can then forecast, run the business on your base that you've got and then how you grow up from there. So every year we're sort of built on that business model. Yeah. And so you mentioned a bit, you mentioned a couple of times around your service customers. So they go from being a, a new customer who gets a a service delivered by you guys regardless of what that install happens to be. And then there's a there's an ongoing element of that and it, both in the monitoring and the service and that sort of stuff. So can you just explain what that is? Because oh, you mentioned the – Sam could probably – Oh, Sam? Yeah. So any opportunity that comes into the business, a new project, uh, we always have to be looking at what, what would be the reoccurring revenue from that client. So in particular, if you took on a new housing estate and there's 500 homes in there and it was a rinse and repeat process of selling an alarm for $500, but you had no ongoing relationship with the client, you had no ongoing relationship with the developer, they were just ticking a box and moving on. 
great to get an investment in the business of 500K for that project. There's no one going after that. So that's really hurts your cash flow. So mm. any project we would look at would be, right, who's the client? What's the possibility of ongoing work? What sort of ongoing work would they be? Or are they scaling? Are they in a position where they're growing and they want to look at new opportunities with us? Okay, that's a totally different story. So we, we look at clients and by all means, everything's competition. If we need work, we'll go out there and get target particular clients to get that work. But there's also a case where you may say that, hang on a minute, we're going to invest in training 35 staff because we know that in 18 months' time, a new contract's going to come up and we're going to get repeat reoccurring business. Government's great for that. You know, All the different departments have re- regulatory requirements to have things serviced. That's great business for us. So then at the end of each month, we know there's a fixed income coming in from a particular client and then that month grows on, grows on, grows. We continuously bring new clients in and the, the pot just keeps filling up. Yeah, right. And so but obviously in order to... Um not only uh, get get that sort of ongoing uh, work and and cash flow, there's an expectation from a client, right, about what you're going to deliver for that. So when you guys do that sort of stuff, how do you, how do you manage the client's expectations um, in order to demonstrate value for what they're they're ongoing? Is it does the person? And I, where I'm going with this is, I think there's a there's a lot of different sort of ideas around how, especially when you've got a growing sales team, how do you how do you manage that? You know, like a, Sam, you would have had your first client back back when. Mm-hmm. At what point do you hand over that client to another member of the sales team, or do you, or do you teach the the incoming members how to go and get their own clients? Like it's there's always that, and I've heard fifty fifty each way. Does the do the aging Aging in terms of being in, not having a go at your age again, mate. Aging in terms of time in the job with their long-standing clients. Do you do you maintain those clients for the sake of their comfort, or do you at some point manage the transition to a, a subordinate? I think sales member. Generally speaking, some clients will only want to deal with Dan Bailey. They've yep. worked with you for, since the outset, and they'll still get people now. They'll call and say, "I want to speak to Dale." I said, "Well, Dale's probably irrelevant in the context of what you're asking." And there's 15 other people that could step in and do exactly what you need faster, more efficiently, and give you what you need. But sometimes they just want to speak to Dale. Well, I'm not really sure if that would be correct, but we'll go with the flow. But, uh. <laughs> uh, we, for you, and there's clients out there that um, you need to match, you know, uh, animal for animal. You don't put a lion in the cage with a, a monkey. If a lion wants to deal with a lion, as I've been told before, lions deal with lions, Sam. And they'll ring and say, I only want to deal with, uh, you know, Dan. Yeah. Okay, cool. So you'll deal with them. Um, but our sales team, we've moved to a, uh, a position now where we're nearly working in verticals. So if uh, certain clients are in uh, the local government, we'll have a salesperson that specialises in that area because some of their requirements are more specific. But you can't be hamstrung by keeping clients to a particular person and we need everyone to be spread across multiple clients and most multiple services because if you restrict yourself just down to one, like all work, if you just do project work and that dries up, you got nothing. So yep. if you're just sticking onto certain clients and you're not looking around and hanging, hang on a minute, Dale, can you service this guy for me or where does that, that changeover happen? You're really restricting your growth. And I think um, on top of that, you, you if you've got the mentality, if you're a tradie and you've got um, dial at Blue Force as the email address for everything that comes to you. So part of the growth of the business was identifying really upfront 
that you had service at Blue Force, you had sales at Blue Force, you had admin at Blue Force, so that you effectively gave them points of contact that, depending on what the service is. So it was up to the individuals not to hoard customers because if you hoard customers, you've only got 40 hours in a week or X amount of hours in a day and if you think that you can cope with all of this and grow your business, it's virtually impossible. So yeah, there is a point where you realise that sharing the workload, making your systems help you actually so you free up your time so that you can deal with the exception event. So if someone someone got broken into the shit, hit the fan, you want to be able to have Sam or me or whoever else necessary, the best resource to be able to deal with that customer and get it sorted for them. If you're inundated as a service manager and you don't have anything else to say or you haven't got anything else, you've got no cope to manage the team or do everything, you'll just smother yourself. So probably the art of actually understanding that you don't hoard customers, you provide a valuable input and you manage that contact. But in the end, uh, the systems will help you do that and that's probably what we've invested more in than anything. Yeah, I, and I think uh, in talking about that on a on a micro level, if we consider some of our sort of um, listeners to the podcast, it's it's very similar to understanding and being able to focus on what you're good at. You know, because you see a lot of guys and girls, mainly guys, because females typically think about things a bit more than us, and they tend to understand the importance of delegation and, and assigning tasks to people who are better at doing things than you. But a lot of a lot of tradies and a lot of business owners in general will start out being literally the, the one-man band. So they'll do their own bookkeeping. They'll, you know, do their own client onboarding, support and all that sort of stuff. Whereas, you know, for the sake of a bookkeeper who will do it right the first time, take half the amount of time that it would for you to do it, you're much better off paying that person 30 35 $40 an hour and then you going out and doing what you're good at for, you know, $120, $130 an hour as a, instead. So Yeah, well, <clears throat> my father's a builder around um, and he uh, he didn't make it in, in his own business because of exactly that. He was a great carpenter, built things magnificently, but he never liked to do the invoicing, he liked to do the work. And then even when he did the invoicing, we lived in a country town, he ended up doing a deal and uh, getting payment with a bag of potatoes and a sheep. So it really didn't help the cash flow along. So in the end, it wasn't suited to him. So he ended up working for um, the public works department and ran projects and worked really well. But you have to have that thought in your head when you first start this business, even what emails you set up. So, all right, well, have, you're, you're, you're a one-man business, but that doesn't mean to say you don't have sales or admin or service as part of your delivery mechanism so that when you are ready to add a staff member or a service that you're not constrained by limiting your business before you even start. And that's probably the thing that Blue Force have done better than most is we haven't been constrained because we've always thought, how are we going to build this thing past just you? And even today, if we want to double the size of our business nationally in the next five years, that can't be constrained to samurai. We have to have a whole team that are prepared to do that as well. And then your project manager and your needs to be able to hand that down to his senior technician so that they've got more ownership of the space. So then we can you know, double the amount of work we can do in a month without and burdening everyone with, you know, I can't just do any physically anymore and that's going to instantly limit your ability to be able to do anything with the business and then you plateau and then you um, you end up declining because you're not delivering the service to customers properly. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. So, so I think what we can take away from that is, it like in order to be successful, if if your if your goals and desires are to scale your business, is that you really need to focus on delegation systems and or in sorry systems and processes to start with delegation of, of tasks not necessarily within the business unit if you don't have any staff but you know certainly for supporting services and that sort of thing um and yeah i mean they're, they're probably the main two i guess and probably the other big part you know we're talking about labor resource right now it's a massive issue for everyone but i don't know sam how many uh, apprentices trainees that we put through we, we had a, a trainees when there was no apprenticeship in the security industry at all, so we had to have a year traineeship thing. But pretty well, I mean, 40% of our technical staff have come through apprenticeships and traineeships. And our office staff are the same. So, you know, our average age of our staff are probably less than 30. Yeah, right. So really the investment and people saying, oh, well, I, I haven't got time for an apprentice or I haven't got time for training if you don't have time, you will never get past that point and then oh, they'll leave at the end of the time. Well, if they do, they do. But if you, if you give them the authority and the reward and the, uh, you invest in time and effort and trust them, they make mistakes. But in the end, they, they will reward you tenfold. And even if they do leave, they come back or they refer someone else to you. Mm. So um, I reckon the labour component of our business has probably been our biggest thing, keeping staff keeping them motivated and because the business has been developing and growing, it gives them a, a reward and recognition as well that they wouldn't normally have got. Mm. I think there needs to be an understanding there too and the communication with those staff when they come on board. So in trade-based businesses, not every day of the week is a great day. Some days you are going to be doing a shit job. It's yeah. just the way it is. Yeah. But there's got to be that communication there to say, hey, mate, you're doing a really good job. In three months' time, we've got this training coming up. You're doing great. I want to put you on that training and continue as long as people see progression, they're happy to stick around. Yeah. Uh, we, we, I interview so many people from different companies and they've been sitting in the same job for two years. Their boss never spoke to them. They walk in the office, it's like a ghost town. No one wants to talk. Everyone's down in their own little desk doing their own thing. They leave. They mm. come to us and go, shit, this place is good. Actually, someone says, hey, mate, how was your weekend? How's your day going? Show a bit of interest in your staff and gives them the career progression. You know, our, as Dale said, many of our staff started as trainees. They've worked all the way through into the office and to, and to uh, you know, progress in their role, which becomes money, opportunity, training, all that stuff comes Satisfaction. with Satisfaction. Satisfaction. Yep. Um, their home life's generally better. So the better, you know, if, if their home life's up to shit and their work life's up to shit, it all goes together. And it's a bit of understanding. But um, we find in trade businesses, I've got all my mates are tradies. They either work for themselves or they've got a small crew, but they're just there, they work hard five days a week, then they get on the drink on the weekend and they go back and do that grind again. But they're only they've got a ceiling. Their ceiling is as much output they can do physically. Once that output starts to diminish, the money goes down. There's only so many cashes you can do. There's only so many deals you can do left, right, and center without investing in training, process to grow your business. Yeah, and I think uh, both of those points that you both mentioned there, if you think about it in terms of saying I don't have the time for an apprentice or that sort of thing, it, as soon as you said that, I my thoughts went to the fact that there's also a problem with people understanding how much they need to charge themselves out for in terms of an hourly rate because, again, and this comes from, this is obviously skills for the, the quoting process, skills for, you know, the way you present yourself as a trader, especially if you are a one-man bander and understanding that you are, you know, the sales rep, you are the, the technician and that sort of thing. But if you 
want to be able to charge enough money so that you can afford time for yourself to do your own professional development, you know, because that's another thing that falls by the wayside is that all of a sudden if you're stuck doing $30 downlights all week, then you, you just don't have the time because you don't, you're not generating enough income and that sort of thing. So when, when you started, Dale, how does it, can you give a bit of an insight into how you determined what it was going to cost for you to do a job and subsequently an employee of yours because that's when it changes. It's one thing for it to be the, the sole director's time and effort because at the end of the day it is what it is but when you have to pay someone to do something, it, all of a sudden you realise that they're really only 75% if you're lucky effective. How, do you, how did you? Well, you're right. Um, the, the, probably the biggest frustration you see is people charging themselves out for costs of what they think their labour is, where in reality you've got a vehicle, you've got rent, whether you take rent out or not, <coughs> insurance, the whole, the, you know, um, account fees, accountants' fees, lawyers' fees, if you set up your business with trusts or whatever, however you want to do it, get some advice on all those things, that all adds into the pot about what your actual labour rate should be, as in a sale rate. And there's a difference between what it costs you and what you should be selling. And I think everyone needs to have a bit of a – spend some more time with their accountants understanding about what your cost is and what your retail sale value is to your customers because you are a value, you're an investment and all of those things. So we probably track our cost of labour and our cost of business um, more than anything. And we um, – really everyone has a really good understanding about what the inputs are into – the business and then what in reality our service call-out rate is, what our project rate is um, for delivering whatever we're doing. If it's quoted wholeless, bolus, um, we're doing a major job in the city, obviously even even there your productivity on site might only be 60% of your day. So you, unless you factor that in, plus the sundries, you know, you need screws. Um, parking. Parking. Access, you know, time of work, all, all, sort of, all stuff. of those things. And if you don't build that in, uh, and you cost of all of those things, well, then you're kidding yourself in the end and then your cash flow becomes a hit because you don't have the cash flow where you thought you should have it. So we operate, and really since day one, on a forecast business. So we really actively forecast what our costs are and what our projected revenues are for every month or every month for all of the year. So... Effectively, we don't look at what the accountant might actually come and say. This is how we went for the month. We we look about how accurate we are about what our costs and what our revenues are going to be for that month, that quarter, that year. So really focused on how we're delivering the businesses. At that point, getting there six months' time. Oh shit, we made a mistake there six months ago. We should have increased our labour because we've had um, other input issues. Rents gone up. Uh, cost of materials is obviously a huge issue now and making sure that uh, everyone's aware of that and that we actually put our increases in correctly and not trying to rip anyone off but you have to be reasonable about understanding about you know cpi is running about eight percent if you haven't had an increase in your labor rate by then or to your retail rate for a customer then you've just lost eight ten fifteen percent of your revenue Mm. overnight without even thinking about it so Since the day we started till today, forecasting of our of our revenues and our costs is what the business is about. So every department knows exactly where they're at and they're made held accountable for the delivery of that. So if you say you're going to do, you know, 
$50,000 in a certain thing or 100000 or a $1 million, we'll deliver it. Mm. And then make sure that you've got the matching cost associated with it. So you don't, you know, you don't bill a $1 million and then, oh, well, we won't worry about those costs for that month. It just becomes you're just chasing your tail. So everything has to have a, an output and a consequence. And so with that in mind, with the, with the current climate, like you said, with, with consumables and cable and conduit and everything else just on a, on a bloody trajectory straight up, do you guys add that into the forecast as well in terms of like um, vulnerabilities and, and risk and that sort of stuff? Like, well, you've just did a big project now, haven't you, really? So it's part of our um, – you can explain that one, what we do. I think it, any, any area of your business, uh, that you, you need to be looking at your supply costs, your labour costs – even down to fuel, right? If you're yeah. travelling, yeah. uh, you know, 200 k's a day for a job, which realistically you should, you know, if you get a job in the city, do you really need that job that's 200 k's down the road if you can't charge travel? Mm. Um, it's not only the k's, it's the labour, right? If you can't charge unless you're on site, then really should be a little bit why you're doing it. Um, materials and uh, and all our labour costs is 30 days on our quotes. Um, but again, in this industry, everything's a negotiation. So we might have a quote from 2021, and they'll say, well, can you still do it? Well, the fool would say, yeah, well, there's 500K we can get there. The smart bloke would say, hang on a minute, when we actually work out our costs, no, our margins drop 15% now. We yeah. would never take that project on ever. Walk away. Or open the communication. But if you're stuck on the – if you're using your phone as your, your, your main work tool or you're working for yourself and you're out on site and you don't want to get negotiation over the phone, people are just setting you up. You need to be in front. You need to – Spare yourself 10, 15, hour, two hours, review what you've got, check in with the suppliers. And in most cases, people are happy to work with you. Yeah. Ask for that time. That's one thing that people don't ask. They don't give me some time. Give me a day, give me a week, whatever it might be. I need to review my cost. I need to make sure it's it's sweet because otherwise you just it's it becomes a turnover thing. Yeah, you've got money coming in the door, but it's going out just as fast as it's coming in and you can't grow your business on that. Yeah. So then talking about time management, so there's a few tools available for small, medium, even large businesses around sort of uh, phone answering services and that sort of stuff, which I think are great. There's the, the other one as well is virtual assistants. Have you got, do you guys do anything offshore or you manage everything within? No, uh, everything's done here in yep. Perth. Uh, we've got, we're, we're quite heavy in our administrative side, yeah. but it's because we have a lot of reoccurring business. So every person in our business is accountable for an area. And even we've got a, a young uh, girl called Jazz who's assistant in our sales team and she's great. She's, We've really turned around our tender um, delivery and our documentation and a lot of that stuff now is basically a library of documents we can use. So rather than spending a week preparing a document, it might take us one day. So we've just gained four days where we can do something else, which could be improving our case studies, improving our other submissions, photos, social media, all those other aspects of marketing and sales she can now take on, which has worked really well for us. Um, in my, me, at the point where I am in my career, if it's not in my calendar, it's not happening. Yeah, That's where I've had to get to. And even I've had arguments with Dale because I'm quite rigid about that because if it's not in my calendar, it's not happening and I need to lock that time out. Otherwise, things just drift on. You don't achieve anything. Nothing's held. You know, I'm not held to account with anything in myself. I've got to book in my forecast. I've got a sales meeting this afternoon. These things are rigid every week. It's like a cost. They're fixed in. I've got a fixed week's items I have to get through. After that, the others are variables. Pull in and leave out what you do. Pull on levers and delegate to people. Yeah, yeah. Sales, marketing, I need you to assist with this. Operations, I need you to assist with that. Service, you need to do this for me. I need to buy this date. Mm. Give people dates. Let them be held accountable for their role. Don't try and do it for them. 
No. But give them a clear scope as well. So there's no sort of misunderstandings. Everyone knows what their task is and they, they can get about it in a, in a timely manner. Everybody should know what I'm thinking. You just need to get it done. That's how it works. Yeah. And no, I'm, the, joking. I'm joking. I'm <laughs> joking. Yeah, clear just detail. Just looked at me like, <laughs> <laughs> well, clear detailed scope. Sometimes everybody doesn't understand. That's the other thing. That's it. And uh, that's where assumptions creep in and, you know. Yeah, yeah. you send them down a rabbit hole and they spend a day and you go, hang on, where are we at with that task? Oh, I thought you meant this. No, mate. No, no. We meant this. Okay. All right. And that comes back to culture as well, you know, having those uh, subordinates or, you know, people that work for you being confident in being able to go to you and say, hey, Sam, look, I didn't actually really understand what you said when you said that. Like, is this what you meant? But doing that at the front end instead of just going, like, say, down a rabbit hole of something completely off task and wasting all that time. Well, really part of that is all about this trust thing. You know, I mean, it's a bit of a wank um, sort of comment, but, but, but it's about having the faith that they will make mistakes but you've given them the empowerment to be able to do it. Give them the frame, time frame and the and the and the tools to be able to do it. But Sam can't deliver his his forecast. You can't deliver what we're doing in our sales business unless everyone in our sales team take ownership of their space. And and there's nothing worse than saying, oh, someone comes and railroads the whole process. No, you've done it wrong. Give it to me. I'll do it. Hmm. They're probably the art, especially when you're smaller. Holding your breath and hoping that they actually know how to run that cable between point A and point B without from and pulling the ceiling down. And it's a first year apprentice and I haven't got time for him. But they will make mistakes. But if you're given the, the, the formula and the tools, which are available from a lot of government department, all sorts of places, you can pick up the tools to help you support them. But if they don't have that empowerment, well, then it just frees you up to be able to grow and be dynamic and actually add some value. We, we don't have here, we can, you can ring Blue Force 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you'll always get one of our staff. And at three in the morning, they're empowered to make the decisions as that was me or Sam Sedinia. So and, and you've got to do that from the first employee you've ever had, including yourself, and so how many you've got from there. But if you've got the structures in place, have a think about the plan, about what systems you want to use to do your quoting so that you don't miss sundries. You, you add a component in there for all your own costs so that you make sure that you're realistic about your number and the, the thing will flow. And I think beyond that as well, aside from doing all that at the, at the front, the other thing is, and we touched on it when we mentioned Simpro, is actually reviewing a job afterwards and, and understanding like, right, did I make money on that? And especially when it is just you, you know, you've really got to track your hours. I, I'd recommend to people when they start their business is to treat yourself as if you were the first employee. You know, put in timesheets, mm. be realistic about the time you spent on a job and then review it and go, well, I actually did that for $36 an hour. Like why am I, why am I taking all this risk? Why am I putting myself through all this stress when, um, when I could just go and get wages for a lot more and not have any of the hassle? And in the end, the client would pay it anyway. Yeah. That's the other thing is a true understanding of your value, which is probably something that people forget. You, you, you've got this vast amount of experience. No one can do it. We're a rare commodity in this trade business these days. They want your work. They want you to finish it, but they want you to do it right. And if you do that, you have that customer for life too. And mm. um, it works really well. Yeah. Probably the other major part, not major, but it is a major part, that as we've grown, we've invested in the community, like um, Trade HQ is one of them. But we're involved in how many sporting clubs, Sam, and we... We even got to the point where we thought, well, the banks and everyone can do all these sponsorships and, or grants and everything. 
So we, we're doing all those things to actually put out to the community, if you need something like this and you're a charitable organisation or a sporting club like North Beach Rugby League, well, we'll get involved with them. Mm. We'll help them do that. And then half the time we actually pick up a lot of our apprenticeships and our staff through all of these organisations that get to know you and then they, they give you the biggest, the best and brightest to, um, to work for you. So it, it, there's an investment in everywhere, you know, both people, your own staff, but the community you're in, and they will feed you work and opportunity more than anyone. Yeah. And that's probably what we've done um, really well as well, which then gives the staff another dimension. It's not all about work. There's more to it. And if you can get some of that right, uh, yeah, you, you have a pretty good formula. Yeah. All right. So if we move on from that, let's talk about, um, Sam, your decision to uh, – to join Blue Force after after working as a Sparky as well, and then what? How was that conversation between you guys? What was there? Well, I'll let you explain it. But yeah, what? How, how did it go? I, I got moved on from a. I was a, a second year apprentice, and I'd fallen asleep. It was a mature age apprentice had to dob me in, and it was my last straw. And they sort of said, "You're uh, you're not welcome here anymore, Sam." And uh, being the young uh, bloke that I was, I was a bit of a smart ass, you might say, and. Uh, Left that, so I came and started working for Blue Force. And then my goal really was to get out of Perth at that point. I think I was 17 or 18. And uh, actually, Nick Longman, our ops manager, he was the, the the tech then. And I borrowed the Blue Force company credit card and booked flights to Sydney. And then rang the old man after and said, I'm going to Sydney. <laughs> and uh, took off. And uh, over there, I continued my apprenticeship, did a bit bit of this and that but the school thing was never really for me over there uh the TAFE side of things so great on site I'd actually just go to site every five days a week and skip TAFE and they loved it there because they were paying me for an extra didn't have to pay for a day and I should have been at TAFE and came back to Perth and um I had the similar argument with Dale when I returned because at that point uh the value that I saw myself worth wasn't what Blue Force was prepared to pay based on my skills and knowledge of the security industry. So you know, I was working as a, a fourth year in, in New South Wales as a tradie, a fourth year apprentice, and then I came back to Perth and it was about $10 less an hour. And uh, Dad said, well, that's it. And I said, well, you can stick it. I'll go and work as a Sparky. <laughs> uh, and at that point he said, well, go for it if you want. And um, I think I, I reconsidered and uh, <laughs> decided I'd stay at Blue Force. Yeah. And uh, probably the best thing I've done. Um, the things that I've learnt now, I mean, I've learnt the hard way, many, many things. Uh but um, I'm tenacious, I'm competitive and consistent. So I'll just continuously keep turning up, keep turning up, keep turning up. And where we are as a company now, it's, uh, uh, we're in, in, in an enviable position that many others would say, well, how, the, how the hell do they get to there? Mm. And uh, we've only just really started. Um, you know, we've, the, the, the business is 20 years old, but we've got another 20 or 30 years to go. Yep. And getting people to believe believe in you and believe that trust that's probably something does he's believed in me and he knows you know yeah i've sat around the boardroom table many times when he said what's going on with this job or what's happened with that and i'm you know i've got to i would take that previously he'd be, i'd be defending it rather than just saying hang on well, let's take on some of that feedback oh yeah actually you, you are right there rather than just going hang on a minute and uh both the shackles go up and on dale and i and the operation manager's sitting there saying hey this is how we could do it a slightly different all right nick we'll do it that way but um you need to be pushed as well. Yeah. So there's no, not, there was no special treatment for you then, obviously, when you came and started? No. Nah, how, how did that go? Because nah. I, I did my mature age apprenticeship with my dad's company too, which at the time was sort of 20, 20 employees big. 
Um, and I was, I'd just come out of the army um, as, a, as a sergeant and came in to start my mature age apprenticeship as a 28-year-old amongst everyone. And, and to start with, we didn't actually tell anyone that I was the old man's son. And so my first day was sweeping up glass from a van that had been broken into and that sort of stuff. But, yeah, again, it was, there was never, never any special treatment for me and I didn't want it. You know, there, there might have been a little bit of, if anything, harder, you know, because people were always aware of like, oh, it's the boss's son, you know. What, so I was sort of, if, if anything, pushed outside a little bit. But, um, but yeah, I, was, I think that was part of starting a bit older as well, which as you did. Like, is that what you found? Was it, how did it go? Was it the integration not too bad or was it? There's a few challenges. The integration was always uh, good uh, and uh, there's just always been a challenge and probably sometimes where work should stay at work and doesn't, you know. You might be sitting around the family. Family you know, barbecue. Go, go family barbecue and work comes up. But now I go walking in the mornings on the coast with my brother and he brings the same thing up and I said, mate, this is my time to be, have a clear head. Oh, yeah, sorry, we should have said because your brother yeah, is in the business Yeah, my brother's in the business, in the business well. now too, yeah. yeah. Well, we've had, we've had three of them. So um, Sophie was our contracts administrator, um, Sam in sales, and Jackson was our second employee. Uh, so the three oh, of right. them. So now Sophie's... Not working in the business, she's not interested, she wants to be a mother. Yep. So um, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's her call, so we're okay with that. Um, but I, I think even what Sam was saying is probably the most important thing, yeah, for the, for, for the family, it's not a family business. And I don't think if people treat them like family businesses and, and, and the family have some privilege over someone else is doing the same work, the whole thing falls over because then they see... Everyone else sees, well, I've got no opportunity here. It's always going to be family going yeah. to be rewarded before anyone else. Well, reality, Sam is what he's doing because of his performance. Mm. And you're right, when you first started, right, it's $10 an hour or less, but, but hey, you knew nothing about security either at the time. So you learn your craft, you do all of those, you put the hard yards in and you get rewarded for effort. And I think if you start to compromise your business by saying, Oh, well, I'm going to drag someone here. I don't trust that project manager. I'll put my son in there or my cousin's cousin or whoever else it is. You end up defeating the purpose of growing that business. If you don't give the, an opportunity, a fair opportunity to every single employee and you have to earn the right for every job, not, not handouts for freebies to someone. We don't even let anyone take freebies home at Christmas time. All the suppliers want to give us a cut in the beer and all this stuff. That all comes into the office when we do a raffle and everyone shares. Mm. So it's not about an individual. It's about their competency and their ability and everyone in Blue Force is rewarded for their capability. And Sam has now just been promoted to group general manager, um, sales across our three businesses and we just created a fourth one. So as part of the transition of, um, of me or, or anyone else in those roles to be able to grow this thing, Unless you're handing over when, they, when people earn the right to have it, give them the opportunity and then we, go, we can go and do other great things. But there's no one in the business uh, more deserving than the other. No matter uh, where based on their performance, obviously. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's interesting you said that, that it's, that it's not a family business, you know, because it, it, it's – and you're exactly right because I've seen it in so many other family businesses where, you know, senior salespeople have left because they're – the sun sitting above them and they're like, well, I've got no, like you said before, Sam, about a ceiling, you know, that, that's, a, that's a definite ceiling because the way they run their business, they run it as a family business and so you, you really don't have any other 
opportunity to progress regardless of, of your um, performance. So the fact that you guys do that and that everyone's on board with it, that's uh, yeah, that's that's a really good point. And it's also that um, I'm under no illusion that I have some of my skills. You ask me to type a document, that's not my skill. Get the right people in with those skills to help you. So that, if someone's better than me at something, sure, you do it. I'm happy to go, hey, you're better than that. Bring the right people in the room and get them to do it. If there's someone that's the you know, world's best salesperson, bring them in. I'd rather hire better people around us and you know, it just brings the level of everyone's skill up. Yep. So those people that they sit in the middle management and they go, hang on, I don't want to hire Jimmy because if I hire Jimmy, he's, he's going to make threat. me look bad. He's a threat. <laughs> Mate, the other threat is that he's going to he's going to go somewhere else and take that business from you anyway. Yeah, yeah. So I'm all about getting the best people in for what they can do, and if they haven't got the skills that you need, train them up in the areas they want. Because everybody's, as you said before, tradies are good at what they do. Most of them are really good on site, and the best tradies go out on their own because they are good, but they don't generally have the other skills, the soft skills around that. And, and half of that is just being able to sell yourself. Yeah. You know, if you put a value on an hourly rate, I don't even talk hourly rate to people because it's irrelevant. Yeah. It could be $500 an hour, but buy whatever product you're buying for a dollar, sell it for 501 if you want. But if you can show your value and then you can sell what you do, it doesn't, hourly rate doesn't even come into it anymore. No, so that's because it comes down to the client's peace of mind then, the their confidence that it's going to get done properly, that the, the whole service is easy. That's something I get a lot is like at the end of a job, it's always thanks for making it so easy. Yeah. And, that, and, you know, that's what people want. They don't, it, again, they're in a – when you're doing business-to-business stuff, and even, but even domestic clients, they just don't want the hassle of a tradesperson or any service provider that just makes their life hard. Mm. You know, they just want to be right. This is what I want done. Provide them some suggestions. That Those suggestions might include upsells, you know, as, as better products that they might not necessarily have been aware of. Um, get the job done and, and that's it and everyone's happy with that. Then you get – they're good – you know that they're good clients because they're, you know, they're paying – good money for a good service and the benefit of that is that they're going to refer you to their friends who share the same values as opposed to the other end of the scale where you've got the bottom feeders using high pages and, and those sorts of things. The only referrals you're going to get from them are the other bottom feeders that they hang around. So demonstration of value, yeah, is is key. Um, and then like you said as well, in terms of delegation and sharing tasks, that also gives ownership to those people of that project as opposed to it just being like, oh, there's Sam again, you know, running this project, no doubt for some sort of commission and I'm just stuck down here twiddling my thumbs, getting no chance to, you know, get my teeth into something a bit more interesting and, and learn some stuff. And in saying that, that's hard too. Mm. You know, when, especially when you've seen, you've built something up and you go, hang on, mate, I've done a shit hot job here. I've built this up, you know, to where it is or a particular client and you've got repeat business, repeat business. And you go, hang on, thanks, Dan, but I'm going to get, Dale to help you out on the next one. So Dale's across your space. He's great in the industry. You know, da, da, da. I'm trusting him to look after you. That little handover there has got to be done right. It's got to be communicated well. And then from there, you've got to make sure that that salesperson or tradesperson is accountable to that. Because the bit once the business is built on trust, it, it only takes a very few things to break that trust. And once that trust is broken, then it does become about cost. And then it does become you're a bottom feeder trying to build that back up again. So you must never lose the trust with the client. Yep. All right, so those are the uh, the obviously the the successes of Blue Force. Dale, can you give us a couple of the challenges that you've had over the years? Now, whether they're things that you know in, in reality were outside of your control, but also things that maybe you've, um, you um you made a mistake and 
I, I, I don't think um, my wife has listened to this podcast, with you? So, um, <laughs> so I've never really admitted to any mistakes with her. But, <laughs> but um, we, we haven't really um, – I don't think you call them mistakes. You know, everyone learns and, and – yeah, yeah, our first um, – uh, Nick, he'd be the first to say, you know, learning how to run a cable properly. You know, just silly little installation things where, you know, um, when you're a whole heap of new people that really don't know a lot, well, then you're going to make mistakes. And as long as you're okay with you learn from it and you learn mm. from it, you don't repeat it three or four times and, <clears throat> and you still haven't worked it out in your head, well, then maybe that's an issue. But probably a couple of the biggest, bigger ones that we had, we had someone go broke on us uh, for about a quarter of a million dollars, you yep. know, cash flow, um, did the right thing by it. was a Sparky, you know, the Sparky's run lean. We're probably, as a, you know, a lot of our projects are th- below the Sparky, in the Sparky contracts. Um, we were remiss on not collecting the money through various stages every month. You know, you get progress claim oh, and, yeah. yep. and everyone's busy and no one wants to ask for the money, ask for the money. At least you know, even if they don't pay you, you've got, you can intervene early, you can manage how much you can do. You're in a better negotiating position if you get early. Don't leave it and do the good guy thing and finish the whole job and say, oh, sorry, mate, we, um, we'll pay you $1,000 for the next 10 years. Yeah, yeah. So that was an issue and probably, luckily, it happened just as we started here going. Otherwise, it was in the first five years, it probably would have been the end of us from that value of money. And probably the other big one that happened, I got cooked. How long was that? Well, nine years ago. So I got uh, a cancer and really was out of action for probably six months of a year. And you might even hear in my tone, um, I haven't got the beautiful radio voice I used to have. (laughs) But if we didn't have the structures in our business... There, I could be, I could be out of the business, and it wasn't reliant on one individual. It never has been. It was for the first five years, but as we've got bigger and we've got more resources, it's about uh, triaging it through to everyone. But that probably was a big, a big one for me, and even a revisit of, um, well, what's work for? You know, what's your life? Is work life, or or, or is it just hard slog? Do I need all this drama and stress in my life? And um, so you, you go through a few of those or <clears throat> those areas, and uh, probably for me, I'm um, thinking about it. It just reinforced more how much I like what I'm doing, which then means that that is part of my life that actually probably consists, drives you, keeps you going, keeps you active, your current and everything else. It is people actually want to speak to you, so it actually makes you relevant. Uh, even though that um, most of the staff want me to move out. Um, <laughs> but it's also made us really work on our structures and a transition. So obviously Sam and Nick are our group operations general, general managers, so they manage the day-to-day business. They don't need me there to oversee any of that. So then we've got uh, uh, you know, an administrative team, a bit like a board, I suppose, and that will continue to progress depending on how big we go and what we do so that we might bring in our CFO but we'll create more people depending on the, on, on the value or the risk that we're doing and grow the business. But they're probably the two. People going broke on us and not asking for the money. We've always um, really reasonably delivered everything we, we do. We don't get everything right 100%, but um, if we don't, will we fix it? And that's probably the bigger, bigger thing, learning from everyone. 
you can always fix what you've done wrong. And if you mean to do the right thing, everyone will give you the room to be able to do that. So close the money and don't get sick if you can help it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And but, if you are going to get sick. I mean, like you say, it's, it, regardless of whether you're sick or not, it's sort of um, it's, it was more important around the fact that you had built the business to the point where you weren't required. Yes. So it might have been a, a six-month holiday overseas if you wanted to take that, you know, but unfortunately for you it, it was an illness. But it's the same thing, the fact that the business was at a point where you could step back and it didn't affect the, the daily operation of the business. And, you, and you're 100% correct because the, if we didn't do it that way, I think I'd be sick of it now and you'd be settling the business. Mm. And then probably as a, um, as a reminder to everyone, if you want to sell your business and it's surrounded about, around you, well, your, your business isn't worth that much. No, it's so, a practice then. Yeah. It's, you know, it's not a business. I've heard people say it's, then it's a practice because what do you got? Stock? At value or cost, yeah. and uh, and maybe your phone. <laughs> and we've had uh, a number of companies come to us and want us to buy them because we're we're the player in that space. Mm. But then when you look at them, there isn't any value in it, and they and they haven't even put any. Um, you know, when you're talking about costs of, uh, that you need to include superannuation for yourself, all the all of these things need to be built into your business so that you've got this transition in your business, whether you're either selling it or growing it. But if you're not doing either, well, then you probably should be working for someone else because you probably get better value. You get you know, 12.5% put aside, you get holidays, you get some training. But if you don't invest that in, your, in yourself and in your team, well, then you, you're really flogging a, a dead horse at one point. So you, you need to bite the bullet, don't take the money out of the business, reinvest it, grow your business, Yes, and then you can go and do your six-month sabbatical over in Thailand and, and you know the business is actually growing and probably better off without you. Yeah, so. I mean that, that's another – I heard that once at a conference and the, the guy who, whose business it was that was hosting the conference said that they, him and his business partner went away and the business ran better without him. And he said, you know, that's, that's where you want to try to get to because, you know, like you say, half the employees probably would rather you didn't, never came in anyway. And well, someone's got to clean the floor. <laughs> yeah. that, but you want to do that. You want to make sure they're watching you when you do it. That's it. And yeah. someone's got to walk around saying in my day stories and that yeah. sort of thing. And so, who better to do that? Um, Sam, what about what about you, mate? From the from the sales side and that sort of stuff. Have you? Is there any sort of? And I mean, you're right. I mean, yes, everyone makes mistakes, but it's it's the way you deal with them that sort of uh, that counts uh, that people appreciate. But also, you know, a lot of times it is just a tuition fee. You know, like you you take a hit, you make a mistake. You're like, all right, well, that cost me X amount of money. We'll put that down to, to training costs and we won't make the same mistake again. So have you, can you think of any off the top of your head or any, even any sort of broader points that you sort of think about whenever you go into or back when you were sort of looking at projects and that sort of thing? What were some of the, some of the pitfalls in that that you'd sort of identified? I think if it's too good to be true, it generally <laughs> is too good to be true. Uh, if somebody's ringing you out of the blue with a deal that's, really big job or a really great client and you haven't done the research to figure out why the client's buying or the, where they are in the buying cycle, it's probably not worth it because yep. you're going to spend a lot of time, a lot of effort for something that they might even just be going to their friend down the road and going, here's... Just price checking. Just price checking you and you're not even aware. Yeah. The other thing would probably be back in the early days is, is being too open. Your IP is your IP. Mm. You, you know, you invest a lot of time training and, and effort in yourself and your business and things that you might be doing a little smarter or a little more efficient than others 
don't let everyone know that. No, you know, yeah, you don't yeah. let you don't let someone in your front door and leave the door unlocked so they can come and see all your things inside. Don't do the same with your business. So is that a strategy around when you're providing quotes? Like, don't be too specific. Is that is that a thing? God, generally, you you want to be enough. Give them enough information to know that there's to build that trust and know that the and be open. And we're open and transparent with everything that we do. Mm. So if, you, if I'm going to give you a proposal on something, you'll see exactly what you're going to get and how we're going to do it. But in a competitive market, when there's competitors and you're against somebody else, your greatest asset is yourself. And if you've got the information to do something slightly better, a better product, a better way to do it, don't tell everyone. Mm. Talk to the client, get in front of the client, let them know how you do it. Back to the selling part of selling yourself. Often when we started, we started, it was price-driven business. We needed to get into the market. We needed to establish a foothold. We needed to grow our base. Once we grew that base and had some quality projects on board, then we had a story to tell. When you start telling that story then other clients want to come to you. Then the story continues to grow, clients grow, the projects get bigger and there's more meat on the bone for you. But until that point in time, it's hard slog. There's, mm-hmm. no, there's, no, there's no bones about it. It's hard slog. You need to do the right thing. You need to put the effort in uh, and you have to be consistent. If, if you're not consistent, one minute you're really high, the next minute you're really low because you've got work, you're not going to be. You're not going to succeed in the market. And when you have work and you've got a strong pipeline, you need to keep pushing on because if you stop – you're going backwards. Yeah, I truly believe that. As soon as you stop, you're going backwards. So you need to continuously be putting, you know, business into the pipe. And even if, as long as you're open with the client, say, hey, yes, I want your work. Here's where we're at. They get you on board. Just letting you know, we're not going to be able to get there for three months, six months, whatever it might be. As long as you let them know, people are generally understanding. Yep. It's when you don't go and you go missing, and then all of a sudden, ten people are calling you because there's only one phone number, and that's when you know the shit hits the fan. Yeah. Um, but again, back to business. I've dealt with everyone from a, a one guy company who's you know worth a, a lot a lot of money, and he only wants to deal with us because he trusts and he doesn't even ask for a price. We but we built that trust. Mm. You know we've we've made mistakes, but we owned it. Yep. Own the mistake, get in there and fix it. It's the best thing you can do. Soon the faster you fix it, like I, I've had issues of a home build. I just done it, and and the, I said to the builder, well, I'd measure a company on how fast they can fix their fuck up. Yeah. And if you fix that fuck up straight away, mate, you're in with me. But as soon as you drag your feet, you don't want to do it. You shift, take a shortcut. Shift blame and you shift the blame. Yeah. You're gone. Yeah, you're gone. I'm going to tell someone else. They're going to tell someone else. And in the end, your business is worth nothing. So, yeah, yeah that's what I'd say. Very good. All right, boys, we're coming on an hour. Let's uh, let's go close to wrapping it up. And just maybe, did you guys want to give us some uh, some wave top points on the future for Blue Force? So you said there's still a good 10, 20 years to go. Is that so? Is that obviously after twenty years, it's not just going to be all right, boys. Let's shut the door and, and sell up. There's uh, what what is what is the plan for Blue Force? As much as you guys would like to talk about it, Lisa, there's just another fourth company started. Is that what Dale said before? Oh, I, I was waiting for Sam to actually jump in there. <laughs> whether he wants another fifth or sixth, <laughs> we're probably going through even as of today uh, a transition. Looking at how we run, if we have. They're all uh, similar businesses. I'm monitoring business in the loo, which is connected to Blue Force. Sorry, just quickly, Dale, by monitoring, you mean as in like the monitored alarm systems, CCTV, all that sort of stuff? That's, that's a service that's, that you Yeah, and provide. medical alarms, we do lots of those, oh, that yep. type of thing. So you press a button, we talk to them. But it's integral to our whole business model. So people ring, we can deliver, and we have a connect with them. So the monitoring business... The Blue Force integration business and uh, Blue Assist, who was just starting, but 
when we're doing that, we now have to revisit what our platforms and our workflows are to make it efficient so that we we can add other services or another vertical business that, that um, we would be looking at to to grow. Or uh, we've got um, staff in Queensland, so looking at what we do over there. Do we do an acquisition or do we uh, organically grow that? So it's about revisiting what our platforms are to make sure that they're realistic and they're efficient for the next stage of our our, our, our business growth. So the the ones we used 15 years ago aren't quite up to speed now. So they're good, but is it is it going to enable us to be more flexible, agile going forward when there's a lot of new technologies around? Well, no, we'll probably have to reinvest in some of those platforms to be able to double the size of our business. So there's a whole regeneration happening. I reckon we've probably done it every five years yep. in some form or other, even rebranding, revisiting our technology, what we're using, what products we've got, what vertical markets we're going to go into or or go out of or exit because of the you know, residential security is probably one of the ones where we started there, but we really do it now because um, it's do-it-yourself, um, but, but but maybe in the next um, year we may revisit that in a different way. Mm. So Subject to technology yeah. sort of pro- progress and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, you know? so we're, we're at that stage. We're really reinvesting, looking at the engineering stuff. You know, we're, we're talking about not apprentices but even a graduate program. Oh, okay, like for in the sales team sort in of thing? In sales or wherever because we're much more into you know, servers, internet, um, analytics, so you've got to match, as Sam was saying before, you've got to match your capability with the resources you've got available. Yep. So, yeah, constantly revisiting where, what, what animals we need to have in the forest. I think for me the strategic direction, I, I personally believe, is that we, we've got a good base here of service that we provide. We know where there's revenue to be made. We know this type typical client is perfect for us. We target that in each state. So we start with Queensland, we've already got a base there. There's a lot of government stuff coming up there and government is, is, is good work for us. Yeah, We get paid, it's guaranteed payment. Their, their procurement terms are fair. There is no sort of argy-bargy on how you get contracts. So we have a good approach there. And we've got Matt who's so investing in our people. That's the way we keep reinvesting in our people, reinvest in our systems, and then there's no reason why we can't grow. We find a similar company that complements what we do in each state. We literally could do the same thing. We have systems that we can have from here where we can see, manage and operate from anywhere in the world really yep. via a web-based software and then manage it that way. So give everyone enough rope to do whatever they need. You know, Just give them the tools, give them whatever they need and the support. And then once they've got that, people will naturally, the people we want to you know, bring to us want to grow. They want to do more. We just help them along the way. Yeah. So. Very good. All right, boys. Well, thanks a lot for today. And um and also, thanks a lot for your support, both of you, uh, with Trady HQ. I'll mention it in the in my other intro, but uh, Blue Force were a, a foundation sponsor of Trady HQ, and were a, a massive part of helping me set up uh, where we are now in Osborne Park. And um, I really appreciate it, as well as uh, you know your support and and mateship up until this point. So thank you. All right. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, we haven't done it before, so uh, hopefully it's um. I hope a few people get something out of it. Oh, they definitely will. Yeah, I think there'll be a lot of listeners that, that hear, um, you know, what you guys have spoken about today and I think they'll take a lot a lot away from it. So, again, thank you. Thank you and uh, we'll speak to you later on. Thanks, Cheers. Dan. Thank you. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Trady HQ podcast. For more information, head to tradyhqwa.com.au and follow us on Facebook at the Trady HQ podcast group. Have a great day. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening in. Uh, this time, this week, we have...